Imagine this. A single factory serves as the production core, pumping out a variety of essential products required for life. In medicine, we call this our bone marrow, and the products are components of our blood. Like all good products, we've given them names. Red blood cells, or erythrocytes, deliver oxygen to the tissues in our body. White blood cells help us fight infection. Platelets are essential in helping our blood clot. Together, they form one of the most vital organs in our body, our blood. Today on our show, we talk about the red blood cells. More specifically, we talk about what happens when there is an imbalance between loss and gain, between destruction and production. Today, our patient is anemic and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Our Body, Our Blood. As with every episode, we start with our safety second. All patients should be assessed for stability before moving forward with your assessment. Clinically, a patient with severe anemia may present with significant hypotension, shortness of breath, chest pain, altered level of consciousness, syncope, or active bleeding. If your patient has any of these findings or you feel uncomfortable managing the situation at any point, ask for help. Now, on to anemia. a laboratory diagnosis, which means that we look towards the lab values to help us diagnose the condition. The definition of anemia will depend on the reference range of the lab that you are using. However, typically in males, it is defined as a hemoglobin less than 130 grams per liter, and in females, it is defined as less than 115 grams per liter. We start by dividing anemia into three subgroups, microcytic, normocytic, and macrocytic anemia. These categories classify anemia according to the size of the red blood cells, otherwise known as the MCV or mean cell volume. Now, while the differential diagnosis in each category of anemia is substantial, the three categories can be understood in broad strokes based on their physiology. When we talk about microcytic anemia, we refer to cells with a low MCV, typically of less than 82 femtoliters. Microcytic erythrocytes are either lacking or have a defect in their contents, specifically hemoglobin. One of the most commonly seen conditions causing microcytic anemia is iron deficiency anemia, which we'll talk about in more depth in just a few minutes. Another common condition that causes microcytic anemia is thalassemia, where defective alpha or beta globulins that make up the hemoglobin result in smaller erythrocytes. In normocytic anemia, a cell's MCV range is between 82 and 100 femtoliters. Typically in normocytic anemia, the approach can be divided into lack of production, inappropriate destruction, or blood loss. The differential diagnoses here includes decreased bone marrow synthesis or production, reduced production of a hormone release from the kidneys called EPO, which stimulates production of red blood cells in the bone marrow, ongoing inflammation from states of chronic disease, significant blood loss from bleeding, or destruction of erythrocytes, otherwise known as hemolysis. Our last category, macrocytic anemia, refers to when cells have an MCV greater than 100 femtoliters. Larger red blood cells are produced when there is a problem with DNA synthesis, in cases such as folate or vitamin B12 deficiencies. These nutritional deficiencies are known as megaloblastic anemias. Macrocytic anemia can also be non-megaloblastic, as in the case of bone marrow disease like MDS, thyroid disease, alcoholism, or liver disease, it may even be a marker of liver disease long before other physical manifestations of liver disease, such as jaundice or spider nevi, are seen. 
Using this information, you are now able to classify which type of anemia your patient has. Like everything else in medicine, the workup you do should be tailored towards your most likely differential, and categorizing your patient's anemia will help you narrow that differential. Furthermore, taking into account your patient's presenting complaint and history will also help you decide on pertinent investigations. For the sake of this podcast, we have decided to focus on the workup of the most common cause of microcytic anemia in North America, iron deficiency anemia. suspect a diagnosis of iron deficiency anemia, a good screening test, particularly as an outpatient, is a ferritin level. A ferritin level will help you rule in the diagnosis if it is low. However, remember that ferritin is an acute phase reactant, which means that it may be elevated in the setting of any physiological stress. To provide a more specific picture, you should order further iron studies, such as an iron and transferrin level, transferrin saturation, and total iron binding capacity, or TIBC. Typically, everything but the total iron binding capacity will be low in iron deficiency anemia. Now, figuring out the reason for a patient's new iron deficiency will be an important part of your job as well. The etiologies of iron deficiency anemia can be broadly divided into dietary nutritional deficiencies, blood loss, or malabsorption. Taking a good dietary history may help you rule in or rule out nutritional iron deficiency. Individuals who are vegan or vegetarian are at a higher risk of not consuming enough iron in their diet. Recommending dark leafy greens, beans, or iron-fortified cereals and breads may help boost a patient's iron stores. In terms of blood loss, this may occur in women of childbearing age who have had menorrhagia or have had multiple pregnancies. Patients may also lose blood overtly or in an occult manner, gradually over time through their GI tract. Ulcers, gastritis, or H. pylori in the upper GI tract and polyps and colorectal cancer in the lower GI tract are possible sources for occult bleeding. This is why, in a patient greater than 50 years old or with a pertinent family history, you should ensure that appropriate colon cancer screening has been implemented. Lastly, patients who are regular blood donors can become iron deficient through repeated donations. Iron is absorbed in the upper GI tract. Thus, individuals with iron deficiency related to malabsorption typically have other comorbid diseases such as celiac disease, prior bariatric surgery, atrophic gastritis, or H. pylori infection. Taking a good past medical history will be important to help you identify a possible etiology. The treatment for iron deficiency anemia is iron replacement. There are two routes of iron replacement available, oral and intravenous. Typically, we start with oral iron replacement as it is the most cost-effective and convenient for the patient. The dose is usually 300 mg PO daily, and there are several formulations available. Each formulation contains differing amounts of elemental iron, ranging anywhere from 30 to 150 mg. Azorbic acid or vitamin C can help to increase the amount of iron absorption in the stomach, and patients are advised to take the iron on an empty stomach. The trouble with oral iron supplementation is that it can cause significant GI symptoms, including stomach aches, cramping, bloating, and constipation. Often, it may also need to be taken twice or three times daily. Because of these reasons, adherence to oral iron supplementation becomes a challenge. If this is the case for your patient where they are experiencing significant side effects, switching to another formulation may help. Sometimes, patients have to try four or five different formulations before finding one that works for them. Now, if a patient truly cannot tolerate oral iron or has malabsorption, there are IV formulations of iron available. 
However, IV supplementation tends to be more expensive as well as an inconvenience for patients as it requires an outpatient clinic appointment for the intravenous effusion. It is, however, a very effective form of replacing total body iron stores. IV iron can rarely be associated with anaphylactic reactions, occurring in less than 1% of the population. Patients therefore need to be monitored when they are receiving their infusion. Across North America, the Choosing Wisely campaign is helping to promote safe and economic treatment of patients. Every medical specialty has identified a top five list of recommendations by the campaign, and it is certainly worthwhile to check out the Choosing Wisely list for whatever specialty you might be interested in. One of the recommendations for hematology is to transfuse only the minimum number of red blood cell units to relieve symptoms of anemia or to return a patient to a safe hemoglobin range of 70 to 80 grams per liter in stable non-cardiac patients. This is slightly different from the TRIC trial that recommends transfusion in critical care patients of individuals with a hemoglobin less than 70 regardless of symptomatology. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Our Body, Our Blood. This podcast was written and produced by Dr. Allison Lai, internal medicine resident, and edited by Dr. Wendy Lim, hematologist, and Dr. Raz Wine, internal medicine. Sound and music production by Lakshman Vizantha Mohan. This is The Internet Work, and we hope to see you again soon. <laughs>